Let's have the Sikkim students stand up one more time. If you're here for Sikkim, stand up. This is a group, this is a group that's come all the way from Texas. Um, they have come to be trained in how to be campus missionaries on their campus. We run two Sikkim conferences, one in May for the semester schools, like these folks coming from Texas, and one in June that everybody from our community is welcome to come to. So I encourage you to talk to your core leaders if you have any questions about Sikkim, because we think that you are the ones who will change this culture, starting on this campus in particular, and launching out into the world. Um, we also take the fact that Jesus is up to good stuff in our community very seriously. God help us if the mission is left to the professionals. Can I get an amen? amen? If you wait for pastors and people who get paid to do this for a living to change the world, it's never going to happen because there's not enough of us. You folks are the pastoral missionaries on the planet and the culture is in need of changes. Wherever you end up finding yourselves, you will be making disciples and changing the world. That's our prayer. Because of that, we actually think that it's not just the pastor's jobs to be thinking about what might the Lord want to say to our community tonight. Our prayer is that all, all year that you folks would be praying, Jesus, do you have anything you want to say to the community through me in your quiet times? Do you have anything that you want to say to my core through me? You would be amazed at how cool and excited your core leaders would be if you said, hey, I've been really learning something from the Lord. Can I share it in core? Core leaders, right? How cool would that be? Because that's the kind of people we want to do. So we have invited uh, one of you folks, a senior gentleman, to bring God's word to us tonight from Colossians. I'm going to ask Josh Bender to come on forward. A man who has lived faithfully and steadily in service to our community. And when I said, hey, we're looking for somebody who could bring the word to us this spring, would you be willing? He said, yes. So here he is. Um, I'm going to pray for him, and then he's going to take us through God's word. Jesus, thank you that we are all servants of your famous name. That it is all of our responsibility to pour over your text and to listen for each other what you might be saying and to listen for ourselves. So I thank you, Lord, for the time that Josh has taken to study and to listen and then to bring uh, the meal that he's received to our family. Thank you for the, the, the gifts you've given him and the opportunity he has to serve us. We pray that your spirit would would uh, say things to us that stick through your servant, Josh. Bless him, Lord, and we're ready to hear from you, Spirit, through our, through our friend and brother. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. You bet. Hi, good evening, everyone. My name's Josh, if you didn't hear what he just said. I'm actually, I'm actually not a senior. I'm a super senior. Taking my taking my dear sweet time to graduate. Um, I'm leading core in Burnham Wood. Yeah, the best, the best residence hall. All of you should think about living in Burnham Wood. <clears throat> so if you haven't been to CCF, welcome. You're welcome here just as you are. Um, this is my family. We're all just a big family searching for Jesus. So you are welcome anytime. <clears throat> so just to tell you a little about, bit about myself, I transferred here from Denver, Colorado. I was studying industrial design at the Metropolitan State College of Denver. I came out here for industrial design and promptly left the program. <laughs> and that, that's where I switched to MET CAD CAM. Um, so since I'm from Denver, I love the cold, I love the snow, and I absolutely hate the rain. <laughs> if you see me storming around outside, it's probably because my toes are wet. So just, just no fun. 
One other thing about me is I love stories. I love narratives. I love, especially, science fiction fantasy. I learned most of my vocabulary, most of my, just everything from science fiction fantasy. For instance, I learned words like enigmatic, which is a good one to use at a party. And it, seriously, enigma is something you can't quite explain. So enigmatic is something you just, you, you just can't quite explain. You know, you got it. So, one of my favorite stories of all time is a story about an elf. In fact, it's a story about a dark elf. Yeah, he knows what's up. So, the dark elves are a race of evil elves which live in the center of the world after they were chased off the planet. Come on, don't, don't laugh at this. This is serious. This is serious stuff. This is a big thing. The hero of the story, Drizzt, was born in the middle of an assassination which his mother and family were performing against another family in order to increase their stature in the society which they lived in. He was trained by his father to become the most proficient swordsman in the world, and he was trained to kill, specifically. But both he and his dad knew what an evil society they were living in and they grew up in, so they were trying to fight it and slowly rebelling in their own way. Eventually, his father was brutally murdered by his mother, and <laughs> come on, <clears throat> and he ended up re- leaving, running away to the surface to try and escape, to learn to live in what's good, a live, to learn to live, to learn to live a life, to love other people, to help other people, and just to escape from the old life that he was trapped in. If you haven't read *The Legend of Drizzt*, I'd seriously recommend it. It's only thirteen books; it's not too hard to read. So I bring up this story because I just love drama. I love watching a character shift. I like watching a character change. I love just the drama of all of it. Um, And I bring this up because I've been caught up in the drama of Colossians, which we've been reading, the book of Colossians, which we've been reading this quarter. So if you haven't been here, we're reading, again, the book of Colossians, which is a book um, written by the Apostle Paul to the people in Colossae. Colossae is a city of Phrygia located in Asia Minor. I should have a picture right over near Turkey-ish. So the church that had grown had both a Jewish population and a non-Jewish population. So there were a bunch of different ideas and philosophies in this city because of the different cultures that were around at the time. The people in the church were ended up picking and choosing what ideas they liked, what ideas they thought would best fit this new upbringing of Christianity. So one of the philosophies that they were picking from was this idea of theosophy, Theosophy is teachings of God through spirits. Theosophists promised that their followers would have a deeper insight into the world through the use of spirits, a deeper insight than they would receive through the gospel. Another idea that was that's a, <clears throat> another idea was this idea of asceticism, or the idea that the body was evil. <clears throat> so it was a rigorous self-denial in order to overcome the evil of the body. Rachel talked about this in last week's service. Um, This was oftentimes fueled by a belief that, again, the body was evil. Also, Colossae had just a broad pagan following, and pagan here refers to any religion that may or may not be theistic other than Christianity and Judaism. So why are we reading Colossians? Um, In the same way that the church of Colossae was asking and searching for what was true, for this idea of truth, so we in Bellingham are searching for this truth. And oftentimes we end up picking and choosing exactly what we like, what we think feels the best or sounds the best. But that isn't the way that God works. 
So let's continue reading Colossians. Um, we're going to start Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. So if you want to turn to your Bibles, I'll also have it up on the screen. So it reads, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on this earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So, in these verses, Paul's talking about three different ideas of Christian living. These three ideas are the foundations of what it actually means to be a Christian. So, I'm going to break them up into the three ideas. The first one of thought, the second of repentance, and the third of movement from that. So, the first one, again, is thought, starting at verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So what the heck does Paul mean when he says, if you have been raised in Christ? So this, of course, is the continuation of this letter, and it looks back to chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, which reads, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope in the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So this section here is Paul calling the church to actually practice what they say. He tells the church to seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. He's telling them to actually look to understand God by looking at God, at Christ, and not by looking at people. The people in Colossae had been trying to figure out the nature of God through things other than God, through um, ingredients, um, by removing and denying yourself all the pleasures and ingredients necessary to life with asceticism by doing anything that really makes you happy because God gave it to you, so therefore you can do what makes you happy. Or this idea of searching through spirits rather than actually looking at the gospel and at Christ. All three of those would be like trying to understand math by studying philosophy. While you can understand a little bit of math by studying philosophy with um, the study of logic, you'll only be able to see and understand a little fraction of math from it. You cannot look at something else and try and find God through that. Paul is saying, come on, guys, get a grip. You want to know how to find God? Look at God. Look at Christ. Look at Jesus. 
Don't look at that guy over there who hasn't eaten in three days. If you want to find the source of something, you have to actually look at it. Statisticians call what Colossians were doing the Texas sharpshooter fallacy. Seriously. <laughs> this happens when someone sees the hint of truth and then says, oh, that must be truth. They don't look at the whole scope of things. It would be like shooting the side of a barn and then drawing the target around that and saying, oh, look, I shot the center of the target. <clears throat> the Texas sharpshooter fallacy happens when the whole picture of events is not taken into account. Often people will have a hypothesis about how things are supposed to be. So they'll pick the very specific things that they want and ignore everything else, not try and look at all the evidence around them, not try and look at everything around them, <clears throat> which ends up leading to a mix mixing of correlation and causation. So the people in Colossae were doing exactly that. They would see something they like and agreed with, <clears throat> and then if they found something in particular, they would just put it in to match with their Christian life. <clears throat> Paul is telling the church that they need to take a step back and look at the entire story of God. In order to understand God, we need to first look at Jesus, who is God in flesh. <clears throat> we need to look at Jesus first to understand who he is and then look at those implications and what they mean in our life. Then we can start addressing the things that are around us, the little piddly things. You can't simply say that you understand Jesus through looking at other people. You need to go look at him with your own eyes. In these verses, Paul is saying exactly that. You need to look at God through Christ. Anything else is simply a fake knockoff of the truth. Now, going down to section, um, verse 3, where it says, Now your life is hidden with Christ and God. What the heck does hidden mean? So this hidden comes from the Greek word crypto, which means to keep safe, protect, and hide. From that, this verse could end up also reading, For you have died and your life is kept safe with Christ and God. This shows us that our relationship with God is a personal one. Instead of saving us with his death and saving a little room in the garage or outside for us, Christ has brought us in to him, in with him. Our following of Christ is not just the role of a servant, but Christ allows us to stand beside him. <clears throat> so from this, Paul is telling us that in order to understand God, we need to actually look at God. We need to look at the right things. It's really easy to be sidetracked or turned around in the wrong direction by something that appears to be true, that has the image of being true. God was not made for man. Man was made for God. How then can we say that what makes us happy is truth? If you want to understand and question God, you need to look at and understand and question Jesus, not just something that sounds like him. If you're a Christian, you need to look at Christ as your example and your guide, not something else that reminds you of him that you think you heard in Sunday school. Step back and look at everything. <clears throat> so the second idea is this idea of taking off the old of repentance. From there, Paul continues by describing how we Christians are supposed to live, how we need to repent and give up all of everything that can be called a sin. We need to give up our anger, our lusts, our evil desires, and everything else that separates us from God. Verses not 5 through 9 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. 
Since many in the church in Colossae were not Jewish, Paul was addressing those whom came from those other religious backgrounds. This first thing Paul addresses is sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. The word passion used here, pathos, um, actually in the context of the sentence means more like a lustful passion, not just passions in general. Paul's addressing the sexual immorality and lust that the new believers are struggling and fighting against and sometimes even accepting. With this, he's simply not saying, don't cheat on your partner after you're married. The people in Colossae had basically the exact same view we have on sex, that sex is something to be explored before marriage, that it's exciting, <clears throat> that you can learn from it, you should grow from it, and you shouldn't be restrained from it in any way. Paul stresses that in verse 5, as a changed people, us Christians are to keep sex as it was intended in the context of marriage. Not in that sex is some prohibited activity that all Christians must be afraid of and never think about and never enjoy, but that sex is something to be shared in marriage only as an incredibly powerful, enjoyable, emotionally connecting way to love each other. Paul then goes on to state that you need to get rid of your anger, your malice, your slander, and not to lie at anyone. All we need to do is take off the old self that we're living in and just let's go ahead and do that because we've been saved by Christ. Really? Like, what, what's wrong with you, Paul? What does that even mean? How ambiguous is it to say, oh, just take off the old? That's ridiculous. In this passage, Paul sounds like some super conceited holy man who considers it easy to live a Christ, perfect Christian life. <clears throat> so let me tell you a little about myself. That was me 19 years ago. I was adorable. I don't know what happens. <laughs> I grew up in a Christian household. I went to church every week. I was in Iwana's until I was 10 years old. And VeggieTales was one of my primary sources of entertainment. When I was 13, I wrote out a contract to God saying that I was going to save sex for marriage. When I was 16, I went through what was called the Righteous Passage, which was a kind of a Christian version of a bar mitzvah, or a right and growing to manhood, where I again committed my life to serving God. I may have appeared to be the all-star child. I may have appeared to be the innocent little Christian boy who had all his ducks in a row and followed biblical doctrine to a T. But, in fact, it was really all just a show because that's what my parents expected of me. That's what I figured society expected of me. I expected that's how I was supposed to live my life. I gave my life to Christ, to use that enigmatic Christian term, but I really truly didn't give my life. I said, oh, Jesus, you're going to save me? Thanks. That's cool, bro. I'll take it. Now I don't have to worry about all the times I mess up. Ain't that nice? Ain't that dandy? But I had a dark past that I kept holed up inside of me. I became addicted to pornography at the age of 10. I started having sex with my high school girlfriend because I told myself the lie that, oh, we're going to get married anyway, so it's okay. It's not actually committing adultery. It's fine. God is okay with it. I lied and manipulated friends. I purposely hurt people. And I loved to gossip and spread rumors. I always hated it when Christians would tell me, oh, you just need to give it all up to God, or you just need to live your life for Christ. What What the heck does that even mean? I prayed to God to free me from my addiction to porn and to make my life come together. It never instantaneously disappeared, and it never became easy. 
I would be free of something for a couple weeks and end up falling back into it harder than ever before. <clears throat> I prayed to God when I was suicidal and felt like no one cared about me at all. And I tried to trust in God when I was so upset and angry at people that I wanted to end my life in order to hurt them. Phrases like, just give it up to God, or just trust in God, always really just pissed me off because those people who said them never seemed to struggle with the same things that I was fighting. To me, I really didn't believe it could be done. I eventually decided that things like porn, sex, and lying were okay because I'd already been forgiven by God. I ended up boiling down my faith to fit the ideas that I like. I committed the Texas sharpshooter analogy by picking those little bits and pieces that I liked. And I said, oh, okay, I'll take that. <clears throat> Since I already messed up once, it didn't matter, and nothing else, I didn't have to worry about anything else. I was waiting for my free ticket to heaven, doing whatever the heck I wanted. <clears throat> I found what I wanted and built God around that. It all seems so much more realistic than this enigmatic brush-off term that Christians tend to give, since I really wasn't as good at fighting the same things as they were. I figured, oh, maybe these things that I struggle with, maybe they'll go away when I get married, have kids, grow up. You know, I don't really have to worry about that right now. But obviously the story doesn't end there. Over two and a half years ago, I moved to Bellingham, and a tall, red-headed, nerdy kid named Ryan Ketterl came and knocked on my door. <laughs> <coughs> He invited me to CCF, and then I ended up living with him and Joey Kelly. And just over that next year, God taught me that you just can't instantaneously take away your sins. <clears throat> if you simply just take off your old self, to use a clothes analogy, if you just simply take off your old self, you're just going to be naked. You're going to be running around, getting sunburned, getting cut up by branches and stuff. <clears throat> and, then, and then you'll go right back to the old clothes that you were living in because they're comfortable because they can protect you in a sense. Or you'll put on something that's just very similar to them. <clears throat> the next thing after you, you need to do after you repent, after you say, okay, I'm done, is to move. You need to begin moving. Verse 10 and on reads, and to put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, and barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. <clears throat> Two and a half years ago, I actually began to learn what people were trying to tell me <clears throat> when I was struggling. In order to take off this old self, you need to replace it with the new one that Christ has offered. Yes, I know that's just as enigmatic as any other statement, but here, let me explain. In order to make a change, you can't just think nice thoughts and try harder. We cannot free ourselves from the holes that we dig ourselves into. We can't just expect that putting on our Sunday school clothes once a week will make us free, make us pure, and make us right with God. My life isn't a test to that. You can't overcome addiction with Sunday school clothes. You can't simply go to church once a week, put on your Sunday school attitude, and then live the life that you used to live. You can't put on your Sunday school clothes and call yourself a Christian. Putting on these new clothes offered to us by Christ and giving it up to God are the exact same thing. <clears throat> they're not easy. They're not magic. 
and it isn't something you say very specific words that makes you free. The act of putting on the new is the act of repentance, but this repentance must come with movement. The two words that are used in the Old Testament for repentance, which I'm not even going to try and pronounce, both have this connotation attached to them of turning around, moving back, and returning to the right way. Repentance isn't simply saying sorry. It's changing your life drastically and removing yourself completely from what you were caught up in. For me, I had to drastically change my life. I had to stop talking to certain people that were in my life that were pushing me back to the way I once lived, and I had to fight every day to change. It didn't happen overnight, and in fact, some things held on for over a year and a half, and to tell you all honestly, I'm still not completely free. It wasn't by my own willpower that made me switch. If I originally had the power to change, I would have done that years ago. But if you truly let go of your past, place on these new clothes that God has provided to you, free of charge, and quickly backtrack to where you are, God will help give you the strength you need to do it. You'll look back and be able to see that. You know what the best news about this is? This gift is for everyone. Jesus came to earth to die on a cross so that we may be righted with him. No matter how much dirt, regret, sorrow, shame, sexual brokenness, God still offers us these new clothes. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you've been. You can still receive those clothes and be changed completely. The best example of this is the story that Jesus said called the prodigal son. I'm going to paraphrase it because it's pretty long. So the story goes like this. A son comes up to his father and says, Dad, I want you dead so that I can get my share of the inheritance. The dad says, okay, I guess, because rather than, he loves his son, and he's not going to use his power to constrain his son and to keep him back. So the son takes his money, leaves his family, becomes estranged, and goes out and spends it in any way he sees fit. He ends up losing all of it and ends up living with pigs, trying to feed them and trying to eat the food that they were eating. After a while, he said, you know, I'm blood. Maybe I can go back to my dad and work for him. Maybe I can be a slave to him. So he heads back, but it says, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him, and he ran and fell on his knees and kissed him, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robes and put it on him, and put a ring on his hands and sandals on his feet. In Hebrew culture, a man would never run especially to a son who ashamed him in that way. By placing a robe on his son and putting a ring on his finger, the father was reinstating the son back into the family, free of charge, asking nothing. We are the same way. The son did not have to work to get his life back in order, then come back to his father. He simply had to turn around and walk. And it did say that while his son was a long way off, that means God is sitting there, he's standing, he's waiting for us. He's hoping that we will turn around. We don't need to do anything before we accept God. We just need to come back. No matter your past, no matter what you're stuck in, no matter your regrets or the darkness you have inside of you, nothing can stop God from working inside of you if you give him the chance. All that's needed is for you to move beyond yourself, maybe move beyond your pride, and ask for help. You need to turn around and move back. God will not force you to change. You need to make the first step. He will guide your second.
This even counts to those of us who call ourselves Christians. Four years ago, I called myself a Christian when I was living a hypocritical devil life. Now I know that I really wasn't a Christian in the end. Have you really decided you want to stop living your old life? Have you really decided that you want to change? Have you really decided that you want to leave things behind like gossip, porn, lying, cheating, anger? We all have freedom from that. The only thing that will stop God working is if we never give him the chance. The first step is always the hardest. The second one may never seem easier. But I promise you, when you look back, you will be amazed. You need to make the first step. God will guide your second. So, you've been presented with a new set of clothes by a man who so cares for you that he took your place for trial. Everything you have done, every guilt that you have in your life, every anger, every regret, every fear can be removed by God. For those of you who don't know God, who don't know Jesus, go ahead, put him to the test. Ask him to forgive you. Put on these new clothes that he's given to you and make the first step. We in the church often forget what it means to have been forgiven. We forget what it looks like to take off the new clothes since maybe there's not too much of a difference between that and the old. What if in the way that we, our new, what if the way we act in our new clothes is almost identical to the way we acted in our old clothes? How do we know that? How do we know that we've made that change? All of our lives are bound by Christ. We are given these new clothes so that we may walk again and live how God called us, putting to death the things we once lived in, the old things we worshipped, and by putting on the new life God's offered to us. This life is, as he says, a life that is continually being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Not a life of ignorance, but a life that is always growing, learning, loving. The freedom that this life comes with holds the exact same route. Your repentance and moving will be continually renewed by God once you make that first step. So I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team forward. Um, We're going to sing a few more songs before closing our night up. So, And we're going to take a little time to reflect on your little sheets that you had on your desk. Um, On the front, there's a line that reads, I'm taking off blank and putting on blank. So take this time to think, to pray, to write anything down if you want. Um, We're going to have some staff and other people in the back if you want to go to the back for some prayer or grab someone around you and pray that way. Um, Don't come up here because we're going to do something up here in the front later. So um, just think and pray about what, if there's anything in your life that you still haven't given up. Maybe gossip, lust, cheating, anger, lying. Whatever it is, just feel free to take some time to write about it, to pray about it, and to talk to someone else about it. So I'm going to go ahead and pray. Um, Dear Lord, thank you for this night, and just thank you that you are a God who didn't ask anything of us in return, that you came and you saved us, and you came down for us, and you didn't expect anything from us, God. Thank you that you were waiting and that you were completely reaching out and stretching, God. I pray that... We just live as a people for you and towards you, God, and that we continually see your love, God, and that we live our lives in you. Run that, Lord. Thank you for who you are. Amen.